Hi, this is Andrea Borcha. And I'm Andrea Borcha. Nope. You're Charles Wilson. And this is Far Stuff, the Internet of Things podcast. <music> Apple released some cool stuff, I heard, secondhand. Yes, uh, today. They just, there was no warning. They just no. called the press at about 3 a.m. And they said, guys, I think we're going to, I think we're finally done with this. Why don't like two or three of you come over? We're, we're getting out of the biz. We're, <laughs> yeah, this is the big hurrah. No, they said, look, you know, Steve's been gone. It's been a while. We haven't had some new stuff for a while. So why don't just two or three of you come over and we have a couple things that are, they're okay. Or, or they put a giant white box outside and have celebrities and media. Did they do that? Yeah. Did I dream that Bono came? No, Bono was there. That was... He was quite entertaining. They were popular at one point, right? That band? You too. <laughs> Weren't they? <laughs> yeah. No, I just... I just. Aww. No, <laughs> no, they're great. But I just wonder if Apple's aging and if that's going to be a problem with a younger audience at some point. Because, you know, the millennials are like, you who? <laughs> yeah, but you too is, is probably a very... Generation safe. crossing... Well, I yeah. just feel like they're a very safe totally, choice. Totally, for sure. You know, it's not like getting Kanye up there and having him randomly flip out and, right. and marring your name. You no two. one ever got fired for, for inviting you 2 to a keynote. No. And uh, U2 has done quite a bit for charity. And it's true. They're good people. They are. So, That's really you know, what I like about U2 is they're good people. Really good. Yes. Hey, so um, we're going to try to focus a little bit more on the IoT side of what Apple announced today. They obviously announced a lot of good stuff. And you've probably heard it uh, repeated ad infinitum on your favorite blogs and stuff. But on this podcast, we'd like to focus on uh, the IoT side. And So just a quick re- recap. They announced the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. They announced the watch and they announced Apple Pay. Those seem to be the big kind of cornerstone things. And there's plenty, plenty of details out there yeah. about uh, what <laughs> what all those details are and you can actually watch the entire keynote again uh mind you here's a warning it's two hours long uh on (laughs) apple.com but the last half is the apple watch yes and and so that actually was particularly interesting for us yes they had the biggest advancement in iphone ever but honestly would they really not say that at some point isn't every new advancement the biggest advancement? In, kind of, it sort of has to be. Before, it's like Stephen Colbert. Every night he tweets, "This was my best episode ever." Yeah, and that's sort of what you have to do when you're a company going up on stage in front of the world. Yeah, it, and it, and it's great. It's a great phone. I want one. He was. It was his first time really kind of corralling one of these things. Who was right? he? Uh, Tim Cook. I feel like it was his first time really kind of having to own the stage in a major way. And I think considering he, he did okay. He's done it before, but this felt like the first time since Steve's death, where there was a significant new product pipeline that didn't involve Steve directly. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they had, you know, I'm sure before we lost Steve, he had the five year and 10 year kind of conversation and maybe 20 year conversation with his lieutenants. But certainly this, this did feel different. And there are certain things that kind of bug me. Like, you know how the new camera sticks out of the case on the iPhone 6 by like a a tiny, tiny amount? A couple millimeters. I just, like if Steve was here, I don't know if that would happen. They are 
really pushing the higher value of the camera, that it's way better picture quality, even though it's eight megapixels mm-hmm. and Samsung's is 16 megapixels. But Apple has better pixels. It has better pixels and better lenses and, and it has Bigger, all sorts better of pixels. smarter ways to take pictures. It sounded oh, like. Oh yeah, no, they it's a great a camera. The iPhone, there. if you're interested in photography, the iPhone is the phone to get in my humble opinion. I think my Samsung takes much better pictures than the iPhone I'm 5. sure your camera's fine. Wink, wink. That's what I say to everyone who uh, says uh, that. My pictures are way better. Okay. iPhone people take pictures with my phone and they're like, wow, this is a way better picture. I don't know how it'll compare really? to the 6. Do yes. you have any like recorded proof of that? I, that anyone has ever said that I will to get you? some recorded proof. <laughs> From iPhone users. Yeah. Who take a picture with your Samsung and say, wow. The picture is way I've better. I've finally seen the light. Yes. Yep. Okay. Although I don't know if it's going to hold up to the six. We'll leave that, that looked for a future impressive. show. Well, the five, <laughs> the five is amazing and the six is amazing. And I want the six plus if only for the optical image stabilization. And because it's massive. <laughs> well, but the, see the massive thing, like I can carry an iPad mini in my back pocket. Okay. So the iPhone six, cause I am a giant. Yes. So the iPhone six plus is not necessarily as impractical for me as it would be for someone like, you know, like you with your dainty little flower oh, hands. Oh, sure. Well, so they've stopped making more iPad minis, right? They kind of no. St- no, they're still doing that. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're great. So I'm thinking at some point, it uh, the iPhone six plus is going to be pretty darn close to the size of an iPad right. mini. Yeah. At some point, it, don't, don't you just kind of stop one of them? I think you. I think you have to. Yeah. Because I can't imagine that if I were to get an iPhone six plus, that I would need really the iPad mini. The iPad mini was that perfect, I'm going to a restaurant and I want to catch up on news while I'm having a delightful meal thing. And and I think the iPhone 6 Plus fulfills that role. So you're absolutely right. I, I don't think that the iPad mini is necessarily long for this world. But but Apple is great. I mean, they, they know they're going to cannibalize themselves to some degree and they're just like full steam ahead. Yeah. Mofo. I guess everyone has their their thing that they like. I, I actually felt that way when I got the Samsung yeah, yours is kind of between the 6 and the 6 plus size-wise. Yeah. And so you, how did you feel about it at the beginning? I did not like how big it was, but now I've gotten used to the screen. I almost feel like I don't need an iPad because the screen's so big and so clear. I don't really feel... I feel like a laptop I get because I need the keyboard and I need mm-hmm. processing power. Um, but everything I was using my iPad for was mostly entertainment, reading news and right. playing games. And the screen's so big on these new phones, I don't really need an iPad anymore. Yeah. Maybe tablets are were an interim tech, yeah. technology, interim thing. It feels that way. I mean, when phones were smaller, it made more sense. But now with the Apple Watch, not iWatch, it's the watch. Uh, Thank you. You now have a very small screen, too. Uh, that is an option. That's an excellent piece of insight. You're right. <laughs> you do. Well, no, it be, does. It changes everything. I And I was actually really impressed. I think uh, Jonathan Ives. Has, Wait, what? Yeah. You were? I, I, uh, Apple. Because you're not necessarily an Apple lover. I I am you're in not a certain fan respects. Girl. Really? But not, not entirely. No. Really? Yeah. So I have always been more impressed with Apple's computing power. So pretty much every PC I've ever owned, I've somehow destroyed but Macs, like MacBook Air right. and G5s, they last forever. They do. And it's I, true. And they survive me, which is huge. Yeah. So in that sense, I've been an Apple fan. 
So on the desktop, you have been an Apple fan. Yes. Yeah. Cool. It's just more with the other stuff. I have it, gotcha. the phone, yeah. not so much. I, I just thought it was too simplistic. I wanted something that was a bit more. You're a complicated lady. I am. I am. You need a complicated phone. I'm device agnostic. That's what it is. <laughs> Good. Uh, like so, Switzerland. Yes. <laughs> Um, but with the iWatch, or not the iWatch, with the Apple Watch. <gasps> How dare you? Well, two years of rumors about the iWatch, <laughs> no, and now everyone's implanted in everyone's mind. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, with the Apple Watch, the user experience is really impressive. I was pretty impressed. I think Jonathan Ives is definitely taking the sophisticated, intuitive, amazing design elements that Apple's known for and carrying them through really well. I agree. I mean, the crown yeah. is nice. I mean, they called it a crown. You might also call it a knob. Well, they called it the digital crown. The digital crown. Separate it from a normal crown you'd find on a watch. They made a point of that. <laughs> or knob. <laughs> knob is Somehow also just doesn't have that design element to <laughs> no. it. No, I, I don't think they'd want to center their marketing campaign around the knob. Ladies and gentlemen, the knob. <laughs> No, probably not. But it's a unique user interface solution to that problem. Yes. Which is true. And it has a sapphire made screen, so it's pretty resilient when if you're somebody like me that randomly hits their watch against things and then finds a shattered face. It is it is beautiful, yeah. We'll talk about a couple more iPhone things before we before we go on. From a sensor perspective, the iPhone continues to have uh, the accelerometer, the compass, and the gyroscope. But it's got an interesting new sensor. It's got a barometer, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. Well, it has a couple people excited in that... Literally two people. Yes, a couple. That's a couple. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, so as we were watching the Apple keynote live, uh, I was also heavily involved on Twitter. And you'll see uh, we had a couple of tweets during it. But there are certain pockets of Twitter that were very excited by the weather potential of having real-time barometric data from across millions of phones because it'll make weather gathering more accurate on a more complete level. Yeah, so it's like Waze is for traffic. Now, in theory, someone could build an iPhone that's sort of like that for barometric pressure across the nation. And I think that's what they were thinking. I, I mean, Apple really mentioned the barometer as an elevation assessment tool. But I don't see why it couldn't be used as an, a general aggregator of all this data yeah. so that we could get some really amazing pictures and more data, right? More data, more data, big data, big data. So is that true? Is that what they're going to use to measure elevation? Yes. That's, wow. That was part of their presentation. Well, that's, that's perfect. I, was, I thought that could have been a different sensor. That kind of erases the need for any advantage of almost carrying any other Fitbit-style wearable Except at that point. that... You have to carry the phone, which is kind of a bit bulkier. Yeah, but right? I carry my a, phone anyway, sort of. Well, I think when Apple's really looking at health and trying to get into this wearable market, mm-hmm. this fitness and health market, they are trying to address one of the major common problems we've seen across all these wearables, which is how do you measure sports that aren't walking? Sports like cycling, swimming, those are a bit more complicated to track and, and get some decent metrics on because right. the movement's very specific. Yeah, but- we talked a little bit about the fact that these sensors generate an incredible amount of data. Right. But turning that data into meaning, like taking a, a chunk of data that's raw from the sensor 
and and turning that into oh this is walking or this is climbing is actually incredibly difficult to generate meaning Those from numbers are so unique per user so it, it it absolutely is so my thought is the elevation is that they're trying to tackle climbers and hikers in that respect but you have to, you have to have your phone on you yeah you know it's got the new M8 uh, coprocessor which is a new version of their Processor that offloads work from the main CPU to allow you to continuously track all of this data without incurring a huge cost in battery life, which is great. And now it can do even more. Apparently, they've had a lot of people working on the algorithms to more accurately measure uh, steps, distance, elevation changes, all of this stuff. And so the apps that interface with this using things like HealthKit should be able to get more higher level data. And that's always cool. I mean, if Apple has a team of people working on it, you as an app developer can then just focus on, oh, here's here's the high-level meaning of what's happening versus trying to duplicate all those algorithms yourself. For sure. There's, there's a lot of potential with uh, Apple actively taking a role and deciding to go into health. They've been working with the Mayo Clinic for about two years now on developing out what they call health kit. So uh, another part of the announcement was they uh, briefly talked about home kit, and health kit. Um, Super briefly. I mean, we'd hope to be able to talk about yeah. HomeKit during this IoT-focused episode, but Apple, it, it probably logically is not quite ready to talk about that. Or if they are, the partner ecosystem isn't quite there. Didn't make sense to highlight during such an important keynote. I think that's a really good point because they were very adamant to mention all their partners with their other major announcements, right? Apple. Yeah, WWC, that was huge. Well, and then with you know, agreements with all the major entertainment companies to build games for the new iPhone six, because right. it has what 1920 by 1080 P basically on a phone. And then the announcements with the Apple pay for all the merchants that have already agreed to start accepting that. So they definitely were very partner heavy. So that, that could be a good reason why they haven't mentioned the home kit yet, because they don't maybe don't have so many partners. Yeah, but but sorry to interrupt. You you were mentioning HealthKit. They did talk about HealthKit a little bit more. A little bit more, but I think they really focused on HealthKit in the sense of this is how your watch will be a, a partner in your health. Mm-hmm. They did go into HealthKit a bit with how they are visualizing different movements and they are trying to tackle the complicated problem of identifying which type of movements. It did say it had some sort of a learning algorithms to learn specifically what type of exercise you like to do, Mm. what your schedule is, and to try and set goals for you to push you further. I did like that a lot. I like that aspect of Fitbit where I get a little, you know, hooray when I get my number of steps. And so I love that. And Apple did talk about uh, two discrete apps, a fitness app and a workout app that presumably work in conjunction with HealthKit and will presumably integrate with other stuff that also uses HealthKit. That's pretty exciting to see that come to fruition. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to be locked into one vendor's, you know, even though Withings and Fitbit both offer fine solutions, I don't necessarily want to be locked into either. And I would like to use both. Yeah. I think I was expecting a bit more focus on how it will connect into actual medical data. It didn't seem like they were quite ready to cross that realm. My, my assumption was, since they had been working with Mayo Clinic for so long, that they'd be mentioning electronic health records and connecting to your doctor and actually 
having some sort of physician supported awareness and and connection with your health data, but it still seemed very so build something personal. like this where they'd be on stage and they go, ladies and gentlemen, we're now connecting you to your le- electronic health records and now you too. <laughs> It'd be something like that. Yes. Yeah. That'd be cool. Except the electronic health records would get way more applause that oh really <laughs> no maybe they'd have bono opening for electronic health records right? that'd be cool i think you could i was just expecting a bit more on the medical side considering the partnerships that they've been building and the hype that we've gotten about apple getting into health but yeah. really it just seemed that they took what fitbit and withings and the rest of them are already doing and made it a little bit better the th- reason i disagree with that is because they're trying to create an ecosystem now, it's, it's all an Apple-dependent ecosystem. In other words, everything leads back to you buying one or more pieces of metal and plastic from Apple. But they, or Sapphire. They, or, and Sapphire. <laughs> but they, they really are trying to create something where things work together through HealthKit. In other words, the HealthKit becomes an API, a shared API, that people can use to do interesting things. In the same way that people who have audio apps on iOS, they can use them together through APIs that are made available. And so that will finally break that problem where if I want to buy into an ecosystem of, say, Withings or Fitbit, those things don't work together very well if they work together at all. And if Apple can solve that problem, even though it's Apple-focused, Google will try to do the same thing on their end. That's at least one step forward for openness. It's not a solution, but... No, that's a really good point. I think... That's Apple's strength. And that's the biggest thing that they really pushed is their partnerships with Apple Pay and Apple Health is this is an open platform. But there was a a bit of talk on Twitter as well about security concerns with Celebrity Hack 2014, where all those nude photos came out uh, and a lot of people were quick to blame iCloud. Uh, Then uh, there was some concern if now Apple's tracking your health and becomes a health hub across all these Mm -hmm. platforms to become kind of the major consolidator of all your health information, do we then need to be concerned about how secure Apple is? They are now taking on that responsibility in some ways. Yeah, I think we do. There was another report recently about a woman who was able to buy a tool to effectively hack herself, and she was a reporter. And it was pretty scary how, how quickly she was able to grab her iCloud backup and then analyze that file that was the result. But partially it's because people are stupid and we encourage the stupidity. For example, anyone who knows anything about security knows when you're asked security questions, don't give actual answers. Because when you're a celebrity, guess what? I can probably name your favorite childhood pet. You never, ever, ever give actual answers, which is why I use the answer blue for everything. (laughs) And now Um, everyone can now go check uh, Charles's account. That's right. Um, but yeah, they, we got to come up with better ways to handle that. And yet things like two-factor authentication stuff are, are really useful. And yes, improving security policies is also good, as Apple has done in the last week as a response to the fapping or whatever they call that, whatever <laughs> disgusting term yes. they used for that. That was awful. But yeah, it's, it's worth being concerned. I mean, you make yeah. a great point as far as the health stuff. And, and it's one thing for Apple to have your history of blood pressure for the past six months, but it's a whole other thing if they have access to your electronic health records and those are stored in your data blob as part of the stuff that gets backed up to iCloud. It's a natural process as we get further into health management and wearables and how all of these 
health things are going to start combining to, to build a, a data profile on right. you. Um, it's just everyone's going to need to take it very seriously. They seem to really be pushing that Apple Pay will be more secure than your credit card. They were pretty confident to make yes. that statement. And, and that would be, yes, I think that's a low bar. And I think they can wildly exceed it. Hey, for that watch, did you see the Motorola watch announcement recently? The Moto 360? Yeah. Yes. So it's it's a beautiful watch, obviously, but it was slammed for having ridiculously low battery life to the point that you'd have to charge it multiple times per day. And Apple did something interesting with Apple Watch. They pushed off a lot of stuff that would otherwise take a larger onboard battery and take up space to the phone. So the Apple Watch itself has Bluetooth LE. Blee. Blah. We don't know how to pronounce it yet. But Bluetooth Low Energy, and it uses uh, the GPS and the Wi-Fi on the iPhone. Yes. And it communicates to the iPhone purely with Bluetooth, but works in conjunction with your iPhone, which means that you need to have an iPhone to use it. And within a certain range. So that was another question that came up quite a bit. Yeah, the range of, yeah, the range being about 30 feet, which is normal Bluetooth range. Right. So if you wanted to run with your Apple watch and you would assume that your watch was actually tracking Mm -hmm. every detail that you wanted to, but Mm -hmm. it didn't have all the sensors that your phone has, you need to have your phone on you when you're running. You do. And and happily, you don't have to be carrying it. It could be on your back. I mean, you've seen people that have special holder. Yeah, the armband thing. It's maybe not optimal, but... For the Apple Watch itself, it's it's kind of nice, and hopefully we're going to see a, a battery life that's crazy better than the Moto 360. It seemed like Tim Cook was hinting that you get about a day and you have to charge every night. That would make yeah, that would make sense Which as long as that's a very generous day. Yeah, like because there's going to be some 18 hour days in my life. Like, well, even how often do you use the phone? Now you think it's so cool. You're sitting in a meeting. You're sending each other drawings. You're texting on it. You're playing video games on it. And it's dead in four hours. Maybe it's a full day if you don't actually do much more than look at the time. Yeah, I, they're they're pretty smart about battery life. I mean, Apple is is not known for over-engineering battery life on devices. But yet, the iPhone 5, for example, has a very comfortable extra long day of battery life at minimum, even when you do things like use it for podcasting and stuff. So they they seem to tread a fine line between providing the, the smallest possible form factor they can, but still providing enough battery life. And then they do things like all the custom CPUs that are just engineered so, so well to give their products an advantage as far as battery life. Very smart things like that, that very few other people are able to do. It's a huge advantage. And, and so I think the specs on the iPhone might be misleading. People have, you know, kind of been providing little pictures in their rumors of how big the battery is. But you can't necessarily compare Apple's milliamp hours to Motorola's milliamp hours because... That's like apples to oranges. Because, yeah, Apple's creating a, a bunch of... <laughs> yes, it literally is like apples to something else. Thank you. Uh, oh, we, we, we laugh here. Sorry, keep we going. La- no, I, no, I enjoyed that once I got it. Um, but yeah, you really can't necessarily compare what Apple can do with 300 milliamp hours to what Motorola can do with 300 milliamp hours. No, I agree. And I was actually really impressed with the phones kept coming out. Apple's battery life seemed like it lets you do a lot more than Samsung and Motorola and the rest of them. That being said, I do really like the Samsung feature that lets your phone go into super power saving mode. Mm-hmm. That would be something I'd love to see on Apple, especially on the watch, because if you're someplace where you can't charge. Now, what is this? This is something where you have to tell it explicitly. Yeah, so you start seeing that your battery's dying. You're yeah. down to like 15%. Yeah. And you put it in 
ultra power saving mode or whatever. And it gets rid of everything you don't need. So you don't really need a color background. You don't really need all that stuff. So it gets rid of that. And then you've got another day on your battery. That's a very non-Apple way to handle it. Apple yeah. would rather just do things like the M8 coprocessor to be able to handle all that data and not put a strain on the main CPU in the first place, yeah. rather than give people another switch to toggle. I totally see the advantage of the Samsung thing, especially if you're a savvy user. I, but yeah, it, it doesn't, it's not it was, kind of Apple's vibe. No, no, definitely not. But it would be something that I, I think a lot more phones should incorporate. Because when you're traveling and you're stuck somewhere... One funny tweet mentioned if I'm out with just my iPhone and my iWatch and they die and the battery dies and I'm hungry and you don't have a wallet on you, you're done. There's no, right. there's no way to buy anything. So you starve. That would be bad. Yes. You know, that's actually a good question. I wonder if the NFC technology in the iPhone is active or passive. There are such a thing as, as uh, NFC tags, which are passive. We'll have to see. Yeah, that's a good question. You might just starve. Well, one of the uh, the rumors that came out, too, was that part of the partnership with Disney was leveraging the Disney NFC tags that they already have with the Apple Watch and seeing where that might come up with. Well, that, that's an excellent point. I mean, the NFC thing is critical in the sense that Apple is not requiring users to buy some sort of Apple-specific device for their register or, or having to work with all these people that have point-of-sale systems. They're just using standard NFC. Which I think is the probably the most critical keystone in their strategy. Because no matter how powerful Apple is, forcing everybody in the world to get something that's Apple-specific to process payments, which has already failed a couple times. Mm-hmm. I mean, Google Wallet did okay, but not, not to the level it should have. And ISIS, which now has <laughs> renamed itself. Yeah, they have a branding problem. <laughs> um, what is their new name? Do you remember? I think it's Smart Car. Something? Smart something. Smart something we can't remember. Um, unfortunately, we'll be able to remember the name ISIS forever. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, the NFC thing is interesting because it's at the same time that everybody is freaking out about our insecure credit card system and the fact that if anyone has my card, they can go to a store and they can literally sign Mickey Mouse and walk out with something. And all the Target breaches, the Home Depot breach. This is all stuff that's pushing a conversion of our systems to the chip and pin systems that use NFC. And the timing could not be better for the iPhone 6. You know, everyone was kind of bemoaning the fact that iPhone 5 didn't have NFC. But, you know, the rest of the world wasn't ready, especially in the States, for that at that point. Yeah. So ISIS is now rebranding as SoftCard. Excellent. We mentioned before in a previous podcast about Disney's bands and and how they use NFC technology. So now if you have your new iPhone and your Apple Watch and you walk into a Disney store, I mean, you, you, your kid could have a completely interactive experience where your iPhone just instantly as you walk around the store just magically becomes all the characters. Yeah. For people that aren't aware of this, Disney has these things called magic bands. And before you go to Disney World or whatever, you contact Disney, they send you a box of these beautifully presented magic bands in the mail. And you get one, your wife gets one, your kid gets one. And they're branded with your name. And it's really nice. And they have, I think, a Disney character on them. And so when you go to the park, you have this amazing experience where you're just bleeding money, but so easily you, you just tap and pay and tap and pay and tap and pay. And daddy, can I have that? Sure, son, tap and pay. And it's not <laughs> real. 
It's a ban on your wrist. It can't be real money. It's so easy. And now, thanks to Apple, the entire world will be tap and pay. <laughs> I, I can tell you're really excited about this. It's going to be fun, but it's going to be a challenge for some people, I think. It's going to make it almost a little too easy. Now, if only you could tap and pay with your Bitcoin, we'd just be in a whole new realm. That's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit more about this NFC technology. Sure. Yeah. NFC is just near field communications. It's just like the phone has radios for things like LTE, which is how you talk to things far, far away. And Bluetooth LE, which is how you talk to things within like 30 feet. So things like iBeacons and stuff. NFC is just one that is designed for use within a few centimeters. And it's a set of standards on top of that that allows those devices to communicate very easily to each other. And you've seen this in, on the commercial side where the Samsung phones and other non-Apple phones had the tap and you could send each other photos or documents or anything just by tapping two phones together. Yeah, that's a great use case. There are some Bluetooth speakers, for example. I know Sony makes some where you can tap the phone to the speaker and just set it up. And it's a great way to kind of say, this thing is touching this thing. And I know because we have this secure radio communication between us and they can communicate little pieces of information to each other to help close that transaction, whether it's actually a contactless payment, whether it's sending over contact information so that you don't have to manually enter some sort of PIN. It's a great time saver for a whole bunch of use cases. I love that. I mean, a whole new world where whole generations of people will probably not understand how complicated it is to set up your router or your speakers. Oh, that's um, so true. Now I just need a tap for my Ikea furniture and I'm good. Yeah. Or you meet somebody at a, at a show or something and you want to get their contact information. You can just tap phones. Yeah. It'll, it'll be ubiquitous at some point. And, and there's been some good experiments. But the problem is that no one's really had the customers Apple has had in one place and just made it the new normal. Yeah. With it being the new normal, that's what changes stuff. Which I think is a really good point in the difference between Apple and Google Android-based phones. Is Android has always kind of been a bit of a niche that's more techie people, I would say. I mean, it, it, they, they do very well internationally, but Apple has definitely been for the generic user that just wants something that's simple and straightforward, and they create the norm. Google is the exceptional and Apple is the norm. So if that becomes the norm for Apple users that are a bit more of the, I would say, the slow adopters to more advanced technology. Oh, hush. Then I think it would work well. Slow adopters. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. No. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. There's this balkanization in the Android world where, yes, there are Android watches, but no, none of those vendors actually has sort of the cultural power to actually make that something that's interesting and cool. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And a power to sway people to work with them just because there's so much money yeah. <laughs> following Apple. And yeah. to be fair, um, I did get to play with the Samsung watch a little bit. Uh -huh. And that thing was really hard to set up. We had some trouble and it, it's an instant turnoff when you get this cool new thing. Absolutely. And it just, the Apple watch, if it lives up to what they showed today at the show... Mm -hmm. I'd be very, I mean, that thing is just so simple and it's so intuitive. It's easy to navigate. If it sets up just as easily, mm -hmm. I could see it just demolishing every other yeah, smartwatch out there, except for the people that are into the Garmin GPS watches that are very specific athletes. I could see this, this watch taken off. Oh, I think Garmin doesn't have a chance against the Apple watch either. I mean, even companies like that that are 
in theory, niche companies, you know, the, the people that wear those things, they, they care how they look too. And I mean, yeah. I think Apple, Apple reflects, I guess, more the human side of the technology, not from just the way it looks. Yeah, it's neat. And we'll talk about that. But the way the setup experience works, there's so much time put into that. It's really well thought out. Their user experience by far blows everything out of the water. I would agree with that. Let's talk about some facts about it. It has Bluetooth LE, as we mentioned. It leverages the GPS and the Wi-Fi on your phone. Currently iPhone only, but come on. At some point, they'll decide that that's that they can work with others. They can play well with others. You think so? Yes. I mean, if you look at iTunes, it works great on Windows. Anytime there's money to be made, in the sense that if an Apple Watch is used for payments and Apple gets a little cut of that, they want to get those into everybody's hands. That's true. Or on everybody's hands. That See would, what I did there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that would be really... Uh, I, I would love to see... Apple play nice in that respect. There's always this love-hate relationship between Apple and Samsung and Google. and Or hate-hate. Yeah. <laughs> One uh, of those two. Ah, we'll collaborate together. No, I'm suing you. Now let's collaborate again mid-lawsuits. Yeah. Mid um, but right. I, I, would, I would be really curious to see if that actually happens. Yeah. And to a large degree, they can just because Android is so fragmented. I know Android people will say, no, it's really not fragmented, but it really is. If you make software for... For Android, especially software that has to play well with hardware, you can't guarantee things like Bluetooth LE being everywhere and just working. It's really uncertain. But uh, although it's harder to support, I, I think that Apple took the natural way out, which is, of course, it's iPhone only at the start. But I, I don't think that's going to be the case forever. And eventually, Apple knows more than anyone that, look, in five years, it's not going to be a problem to have Wi-Fi and GPS on this device. It's a problem now. Right. But it's not going to be a problem in five years. It's not going to be a problem for this thing to have a battery life of a month in 10 years. It's just not. The watch does, though, still have the typical Apple price tag at $349. But $100 over the Moto 360. But that's unsubsidized as well. So if you look at the prices of their phones, those are heavily subsidized. And the price of the phone is actually closer to a thousand bucks. Yeah. But why would you subsidize the watch? The phone you subsidize because you're on a, you, you've agreed to a two-year plan. They end up making more money off you in the long I'm run. I'm sorry. The point I was trying to make that I made poorly is that it's kind of amazing that that watch, which probably has the power of the original iPhone is only that much. That's true. But you know, it's six of one half, doesn't it? It yeah, depends yeah. on your point of view. No, that's true. That's that's a good point. It is a very impressive uh, piece of technology. I would agree with that. It, it looks that way. We They could just be all made-up demos done with CGI. They but do have great graphic designers over there. They do. In fact, they invented a typeface explicitly for the watch because they've been standardized, standardizing on Helvetica Noia um, for their Yosemite, as you know, from mm-hmm. having used the beta. And they have done that, of course, on iOS 7 and 8. But... They determined that at the point says they were using the the font at and the kind of the distance, the typical viewing distance, they needed to go something that was a little bit sturdier. If you look at the Apple Watch logo, it's it's really terrible. I think they're using that same font for that, which which is pretty big and clunky. But at the size that you actually use it on the watch, at the at the normal viewing distance, it actually looks pretty inviting and, and pretty nice. It's pretty much exactly what you need. But anyway. Yeah, custom font already all done for just the watch. It also has an accelerometer. It has the cool heart rate sensors on back. And those are really just 
They're just flashes. I mean, it, well, they're they're lights and cameras. Yeah, there's yeah. it shines a light into your skin, and a camera picks up uh, the heartbeat using those sensors. But they are cool looking, right? No, it, it is definitely very cool. Looking. But it's the same technology that Basis was using. It's the same technology that other watches that take your pulse are using. Except it's got a little Apple magic fairy dust, it does. doesn't it? Now, yes, yes. I on that same example, they have something called the Taptic Engine, which is they say a linear. Maybe I should try to say it with his accent. I don't know. What accent is he, British? We have Taptic Engine, a linear actuator inside the Apple Watch that produces haptic feedback. When really, this is the same vibrator that's shipped in every phone. I mean, not exactly the same, right? Well, it's the same way when you type on your phone and the thing vibrates every time you hit a letter. A letter. It's, it's, it's like that same basic thing, yes. But Except this one will tell you to turn left or right based on how it vibrates. But they have good names. I mean, they, they could have called it a, a vibrator motor. No, no, that would not. They could have called it a linear actuator and stopped there. But no, Taptic Engine. Well, just like they, they had to name... The crown on the watch, a digital crown, no, in their own, <laughs> in their own special way. Yes, um, but I have to admit that that is a really cool use case that I'm glad that they came up with because which one the 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 fact that on your watch you could get directions on your phone mm-hmm. and then just walk and never have to look at your phone again because your watch will vibrate a certain way when you're supposed to turn left and then it will vibrate a different way when you're supposed to turn right. So you could essentially watch never looking at your phone and know how to get to somewhere you've never been before. Yeah, that's it's great. And if you use Siri, I mean, you could be blind and completely use the watch and you'd be fine. It's pretty brilliant. Yeah, I, it's it's great. I was pretty impressed with yeah, that. Yeah, not to take anything away from the final effect, but there's there's so much kind of stuff in the presentation of it. They hype. They know how to hype. And that's fine. <laughs> they leak, quote unquote. <laughs> there are some really other interesting things in the in the watch. The Four sensors around the retina display. So the, the display is a flexible display. I believe it's OLED. And around it, they've got little force sensors. They're, they're calling force touch that they can use to help detect the difference between a light tap and a deep press. Yes. And so that opens up a whole new way to express commands or desires to this watch so that you can do things like, you know, whereas a gesture might not make sense, kind of a deep press on something to make it let you configure something like the clock makes tons of sense with such a small display area. Well, and it lets you draw on the watch, which was one of the things that they were kind of showing is a light tap or little drawing of a question mark and you can communicate in a visual way. It's it's a whole new level of texting, just like when texting first came out and now Mm -hmm. that became the biggest thing. Maybe now kids will just be drawing to each other on their watches instead of texting, which, you know, may actually be a step up in the classroom. That, That was cute. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, they use that to demonstrate sending your actual heartbeat to someone as well. And they, they use the, the word sensor. intimate quite a bit. Yeah, to intimate, push that personal. Back. Absolutely. And it's true, it is. I mean, it's, it's something that's touching your skin. It is intimate, more intimate than the phone. And the fact that they had this taptic engine meant that they thought long and hard about how to communicate with the person wearing the watch. You know, to their credit, that name does mean something. It means that... They probably have more powerful motors that can spin up instantly and that they can reproduce feelings of being of your wrist being tapped like, hey, buddy, you know, it's time to go. And that's all good. I'm sure that there's a company called Emotion or Immersion that does a lot of haptic technologies, I believe. And they're probably looking at this very closely, yep. trying to figure out how they can either take advantage of this new craze sweeping the nation of haptic stuff that's about to happen or figuring out how to sue Apple. So one of those two things or maybe both. Maybe they're doing both. 
They did incorporate some of the features I really liked on the jawbone, which was the if you are sitting still for too long, mm-hmm. it the the watch will vibrate at you to to let you know, hey, Good. maybe you should get up and move. Which was one of the features I really liked in the jawbone. It was just a very really? subtle little vibration that well, because you can you get it's very easy to get zoned out when you're sitting at your desk oh, at work. For sure. Uh, and then three, four hours have gone by and you haven't moved a muscle. And that's not very healthy. So I did kind of like that the messaging behind the health kit and the watch was that they do want to become a, a better partner in your health and encourage you to get better habits. The one thing I was a little surprised about, and maybe it's just because I was over expecting from Apple the way they typically deliver, they do the heart rate, but... I was expecting a bit more from Apple than just the heart rate. There are a couple other wearables that are looking at your skin and the moisture level of it and elasticity and just kind of collecting a lot more information from being on your skin. And when I first saw the visual of the four sensors or or circles that they had on there, I was expecting way more than heartbeat because heartbeat... I mean, you could do with one little thing. Maybe it does more and they just haven't proven it enough to talk about it. But I was expecting it to collect a lot more information on your skin than what it was. It's a great point about the about the amount of surface area dedicated to those sensors. And all I can think of is that heart rate sensors are typically, I don't know, personally, I've had a lot of touch and go experience with those. Like sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But if Apple was searching for it, you know what? This has to work 99.5% of the time. That might explain why there, there's multiples of each. Yeah, they do focus and, and on quality so quite a bit. Yeah, that might be true. I was just expecting them to kind of take a little bit more from the other more advanced wearables on the market. What could you do with like, is that galvanic skin response? Yes. What can you do with that? Well, it it's a stress response. It's It, it can warn you if you are of someone that is a bit of concern when you're exercising to let you know that, Hey, you need to slow down oh, that's or, interesting. or that sort of thing. Yeah. So there has been some articles that say that it can help track your actual caloric burn based on your weight, your galvanic skin response changes based on how many calories you've burned. So you sweat hmm. less or sweat more during different times of body balance, basically. Cool. So I was just kind of expecting a bit more from health kit. Likewise, I was expecting a bit more from home kit especially with Google's purchase of Nest, I thought Apple would come out swinging a bit more. There's a thing where Apple introduces a tripod of ideas. iPhone 6, Apple Watch, Apple Pay. Yep. And they're smart. They don't want to confuse the messaging. I think that was purely a marketing decision, although it could have been, a like we talked about a little bit, an operational decision where it's like, look, we don't have enough partners. We can't show a complete solution. Right where there's a, a HomeKit-enabled scenario front they, to back. They did go a little bit deeper into HealthKit. I mean, they were really trying to show the user experience. They did, and, and they had a video about health. Yes. And that was uplifting. I love the focus on health. I think it's important because you have everybody in the world. I mean, you know, Everyone look, should be tackling health, to Apple's, be honest. Apple's in it to make money at some point, yes. But there's so many people out there that are basically preying on the fact that people want to just eat salt, fat, you know, they, they're preying on you with products that will make you ill. And so if Apple wants me to spend a grand for a couple products that will help me manage my health, well, then, you know, who's the better company? That being said, though, 
all the problems you mentioned are not addressed by the Apple Watch or the phone. They didn't talk about diet at all. That's true. But the quantified self stuff is is a deep part of health kit. Yes. And, you know, I track everything I eat on my phone and it helps a lot. But they did not want to tackle any sort of... Um, no, they're not. This was gonna, all activity. Yeah, that's true, because activity is sort of sexy, and you can show pretty people. You're not going to show someone at McDonald's going, do you realize how many calories is, are in this meal? And then the iWatch slaps you upside the head to keep you from eating anymore. No, that's understood. I was more looking that... So they have some graphics that they've shown on how you can track how well you're doing, your mm-hmm. goals. You get these pretty little badges yes. that spin around. It's yes. very sexy and exciting. My my concern was they spent all this time trying to find a cool way to show you mm-hmm. uh, how many steps you've taken or, or how much activity or calories you've burned. Yeah. But nowhere does that show you how many calories you've consumed. Nowhere does it let you even put in that information to actually show you your body balance, which is, I think, more important necessarily than just activity because... If you've done all this activity, but you're still eating heavy salts. I think you're right in that they're not going to prevent, they're not going to add a dietary app. They're going to let someone fill in that spot, but it's all going to work great with the other stuff because of HealthKit. Yeah. I just hope that they allow that kind of stuff into HealthKit. I'm sure they will, but until developers actually get access to HealthKit and can start building in the extra information that you need, like if you are, if you have diabetes, if you have heart concerns, if you... Uh, like your diet, if there's all of these other health concerns that need to be taken into consideration, considering the health crisis that we're in right now. Otherwise, you've just got another wearable that's meant for people that are already relatively healthy. Yeah, I agree. The input is as important as the output, I guess is one way to put it. And you're right. Hopefully, they're working with people like MyFitnessPal to provide a solution for that. Because even with like Fitbit and stuff, they don't focus on it either. It no. seems like the food tracking gets short shrift every time. And that's not okay. My Fitness Pal is definitely one of the apps that's more regularly being adopted by physicians as recommended use for their patients to start managing their health. So that would be wonderful if, if Apple does regularly start including My Fitness Pal earlier into the health kit design and, and development discussions and they can easily connect in then that would be a great, absolutely, I agree. Yeah, it's not sexy, but even like Weight Watchers, which is for some people, it, it's not for me. I'm a lone wolf. I'm a rebel. Yeah, it's been pretty effective for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And they have their own health tracking app. And I'm sure that they'll. Uh, that's the kind of brand that Apple would prefer to be partners with sure. them on that kind of stuff. I, I was very excited for them that Apple has been working with these major partners. And um, I'm excited to see the the games that, will come out for the new iPhone 6, considering the partners they listed on there. I think they'll probably come up with some really cool stuff. But, you know, the the romantic in me is is a little sad that smaller developers and newbies and newcomers might start getting pushed out of the market. I felt that for a while there, it was Wild Wild West, where everyone had an opportunity to make an app and make it big. Yeah. And with this announcement today, it felt very much that Apple was saying, we are now working primarily with the big fish and those are the only ones we're really going to be focusing on. So if you're little and you have new clever ideas, it's going to be harder for you from now on. It's a hard one. Apple, of course, wants to work with the lead buffalo, so to speak, but they really will pull out like indie developers that are working on amazing stuff that no one else is working on and highlight them in things like advertisements. That's good. I I hope they continue to do that. I really do. I 
what you're saying is all true. I, I read developer blogs quite a bit just to understand that community. And for the past two years or so, it's kind of been impossible to get attention just because you're in the app store. Like there was a gold rush that happened. It ended in 2011 and it's been completely different since. There's a vast amount of apps out there that haven't been downloaded more than like three or five times. It's so sad, but to some degree, it's Darwinism in action. To some degree, Apple has a discovery problem when it comes to apps that they have to fix. And then the other interesting wrinkle related to the Apple Watch is how are you going to kind of find apps to work on your watch? Are you even going to browse for those on your watch? Or is that really just kind of a runtime only environment for those apps? Although they were really pushing, I, I think the watch might be the next big place to to really show. Because th- I think Apple, the, the way Tim Cook and uh, the rest of the guys on stage were really kind of introducing the watch is we've built this really cool thing. It has all of these ways to now communicate with users that you couldn't do before, mm-hmm. like the haptic response and all these other things on the watch, this great way of scrolling in and out and zooming in and out and touching certain areas and being able to do the prominent touch versus a light touch. And it kind of ended with a, okay, now go, go see what you can do with this. Go be creative. We've, we've built this platform, make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I really think that's another huge marketplace for developers because I guarantee you the next big sales pitch is every business is going to need, oh, do you have a watch app? Do you have a watch app? Do you have a watch app? So definitely see that's a good place for developers to make some quick cash. There's this interesting thing happening where the phone is becoming the nexus of your devices and your devices all have companions. And one of the companions fits on your wrist and one of the companions goes on the dashboard of your car and one of the companions sits in your living room. It's almost- and so it's, it's fascinating because it's, yeah, it's one app, but there's different views on your data. Yep, absolutely. That The phone ends up becoming the nexus of your entire ecosystem with the Internet of Things. Yeah, of your world. Of everything around you. It's it, crazy. It's connected to you as a person. You're right. It's connected to your car, to your house, to everything, your pet, <laughs> your family. And your phones will have relationships with each other. There's a new feature in iOS 8 where you define a family for the first time and you can actually share apps with your kid rather than having to, you know, my wife and I have this thing where we each have our own Apple ID. And so sometimes we have to buy the same app, which is ridiculous. Yeah. So people are finally recognizing that, look, these things don't live as solo objects. Well, they people live don't as, live as solo right, objects. <laughs> they live as part of a group of things that one person has. They live as part of a group of related things that people in your family have. And trying to figure out how to establish and control that relationship in a friendly way so that we can all share when it's needed and yet we feel safe and secure that our data is private is going to be probably one of the most important points of balance going forward. Definitely. You're going to create layers of this ecosystem. Your phone needs to know who's in your family and how we can connect. And then your house and what involves your household. So it'll know everything that's in there and then your car and then it'll know your entire ecosystem and go from there. Well said. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Far Stuff, the Internet of Things podcast. You can find us on the internet at farstuff.com and at farstuff on Twitter, where we've got lots of tweets about the Apple announcement today. Get in touch with us using the contact form at farstuff.com or email us at podcast at farstuff.com. And this brings us to the end of our thing. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. There's a great um, Onion article... Today, their story was Apple releases brief, fleeting moment of excitement. (laughs) 
says Microsoft set to buy Minecraft Maker for $2 billion. No way! Yep. Wow, Breaking news. good for him. That's He's going to hate it there. 